Hola, welcome to season three of More Than Rice and Beans, the mother-son podcast where we introduce you to our favorite Latinx creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. I'm Miguel, a mechanical engineer PhD student at Johns Hopkins University, funded by a NASA fellowship. And I'm his mom, Tanya. I'm a chef, educator, and proud New Yorican. This season on More Than Rice and Beans, we've got, well, a lot more for you. More amazing guests, more ridiculous sidebar conversations, and more meaningful discussions on what it's like to navigate this world as a Latinx person. We're so excited you're joining us for this incredible season, along with our all-star lineup of guests. Get ready, because this time, it's way more than rice and beans. Welcome back to More Than Rice and Beans. We're excited to introduce another all-star guest for our third season. Today, we are joined by my good friend and fellow New Yorican, Ed Rodriguez. Ed is an artist, writer, and animator specializing in storytelling and character development with his production company, Idea R Works. He was a creative director at Walt Disney Studios for over a decade before working for other entertainment giants like Little Tykes, Spin Master, and Studio JP. And if that wasn't enough, he's also the creator of Kiki Koki, a beloved children's character book based on a Koki frog of Puerto Rico. Kiki Koki and his friends have starred in two best-selling books and have their own line of merchandise, from coloring books to t-shirts. I'm so thrilled to welcome Ed Rodriguez to our show. Thank you, Thank you for, the, for the nice intro. I have to just clear up one thing, though. As uh-huh. a New Yorker, you'll appreciate this. The name of the studio is, and it's a common mistake, a lot of people say Idea R Works, but uh-huh. it's Idea Works, because as you know, oh. as a New Yorker, <laughs> everybody says Idea. What's the big idea? So, oh, cool. Doubles for Rodriguez, too. So it's <laughs> Oh, that's smart. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like a fluke. You know, like we were looking for names and we were talking to my kids who all grew up with California accents. And they were like, what do you think of Idea Works? And they were like, Idea? i never heard of that (laughs) cool that's amazing i I love that it was part of like from your kids too that makes it even better (laughs) so i'm just to start off i feel like we have a lot in common because uh like me you were born in in brooklyn new york to puerto rican parents and so you got to visit puerto rico a lot and that's the same thing as me um, and so you were kind of shaped by those two cultures. So can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into illustration, maybe how being shaped by those two cultures might have influenced you? Yeah. So um, I grew up in Brooklyn and this is like in the, like the 70s and 80s when Brooklyn was like Brooklyn. I mean, your mom could tell you it's like it's changed a lot. <laughs> so but so Puerto Rico was always like this, like, oh, my God, it's like going to like this, you know, beautiful tropical paradise and it was just so different than anything in in you know growing up in the city in new york especially in, in those days and stuff um and so we had a, uh, an appreciation for the island i kind of and my parents you know they they had built the house there they were going to move back there and they did wind up retiring back there and stuff so it was always kind of like it was always like a place that they you know stayed connected with it wasn't like they moved to new york and and they were just new yorkers which there was people like that um how I got into art, I really can't tell you what my original inspiration was because there was no artist in my family or anything. But I just like, 
drew from a very early age, like probably like three and a half or four. I used to wait for my mother to go grocery shopping. I take the brown paper bags that they had back then and I like laid them out open and, um, and then I would sit in front of the TV and watch Bugs Bunny or Underdog or Tom and Jerry and just like copy whatever. So that was like my original early training. I used to joke that if I would have been born a little later when the plastic bags came out, I probably would have been a terrible artist because drawing on plastic bags is a lot <laughs> more difficult. Yeah, definitely. I guess you could still kind of use markers, but even then it wouldn't <laughs> work yeah. out too well. <laughs> so from there, and, like I, you know, I went to the high school of art and design. Uh, which is still around, which was a great experience. After high school, I graduated, I went to Pratt Institute. And then uh, I got lucky in that shortly, a couple of years after I graduated, I, unbeknownst to me, Disney had an office in New York and I kind of got into Disney in a big way. And it was kind of like, um, to put it in perspective, when I went to college, Disney was like pretty much like the last animation studio left. Uh, in town. Animation looked like it was something from a bygone era. And um, like it was like Disney and Hanna-Barbera, you know, and, and uh, it didn't look like there was much of a career and looked like Disney might even go out of business in, the, in those days. But fast forward, it became like this renewed interest in Disney. And I was already um, working at Disney when they released The Little Mermaid and that kind of like spawned the rebirth of Disney as as you, Miguel, you in your lifetime, you've always been a lot. Disney's always been around. Yeah, I know. It's kind of insane to me to think that Disney could have possibly yeah. gone down. Yeah, it was it was pretty scary. It was like I think if it wasn't for the parks, they probably would have been gone because I think the parks kind of floated them for years. Mm. But luckily, they rebounded, and a lot of young people went back into the were young back then in the eighties, and it kind of like gave a, a, a fresh blood to the company, and it's it's kind of like been on a on a trajectory ever since. And what was it like being a creative director for Disney? Uh, well, I started as a character artist, designing products and stuff for Disney in the New York office. And then I became a creative director later on when I moved to L.A. And I worked for a Disney store where we designed like all the stuff for a Disney store. It was it was fun. It was like getting paid uh, to learn. Um, you know, I got to work with amazing people. I mean, I would be in meetings with like John Lasseter and Brad Bird and all, all of the directors. We get to see all the film stuff beforehand while they were working on it. So that's what really inspired me to get into animation as well. And it was like, again, it was like kind of getting paid. There's a lot of perks, obviously, with the company, but it was like getting paid for, for continuing my education. I probably learned more at Disney. Probably learned more in my first year at Disney than I did in my, you know, eight years of school prior to that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what most people say in most most fields is that they really learn when they actually get to do. <laughs> yeah. And then what where was the or when was the point in your life that you kind of decided that that's the, what you wanted to do, that you really wanted to get into that field? Into art? Yeah. Uh, uh, probably my first report card. Um, I, I was <laughs> I don't think I think art was the only Probably great, good grade I got. I was a terrible student when I was young. Um, I don't know. I never really was interested in other things. So if I didn't get into art, I don't know what I really would have done. I, I, so I think I always, in my mind, like I said, I started drawing at three. And I, I always wanted to be an artist, and I don't, I don't think I really ever entertained any other options. Yeah, so I guess it's definitely meant to be. That's what you were born to do, I guess. 
Yeah, and my three and kids then, are all artists too. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and there was no art in your family, you said, right? Originally, uh, originally no, but my brother is an artist as well. He went on. To, he worked for Disney for years as well, and he lives in Florida, and he's an artist too. Um, but uh, yeah, but before that, like yeah, we didn't. None of my parents drew. I didn't have any like, cousins or, or aunts or uncles that drew or anything like that. So. Yeah, now your family's filled with artists. That's great. <laughs> and when when did you when and why did you decide to launch your your current studio, Idea Works? Um, well, I was actually still working with with for other people at that time, but I already had the idea that I wanted to do the cookie book, and so um, um, I think when the point when I I kind of decided I wanted to self publish initially, so. Um, I just wanted, I wanted to create like a studio brand around that. So that's when I did it, but I always had plans that I would like grow it as I got, you know, at some point I would go to work hundred percent on that stuff. That's really cool. And now you are also working on your brand based on the success of your children's book, Kiki Koki, the Enchanted Legend of the Koki Frog. Obviously, as the founder of the of a company called Koki the Chef, I am very familiar with the Koki Frog, and our characters have even had some fun collaborations in the past. But our listeners who aren't, can you tell us briefly about the Koki Frog? Um, well, as far as much as I know about the Koki Frog, um, yeah, you know, like you, I, 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 it was you know one of my earlier memories going to Puerto Rico, and you hear that distinct sound, um, yeah. Especially coming from Brooklyn, I remember the, uh, I, I went to Puerto Rico when I was three. I don't remember much about that trip, but then I think we went again when I was about six. And all I remember was like getting to my grandmother's house in the country in Camuy and it's mm-hmm. like the hills and you're going to go to sleep. And it was, this was like back where they still had like mosquito nets over the bed. Oh uh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. And. I remember not being able to sleep because of the sound of the cookies and the other Oh. But the cookie in particular was deafening. It was so loud because it must have been like after a rainfall or something. And it was just like, uh, so that's like my earliest memory of the cookie. Um, and then, you know, as an adult, you know, I go to Puerto Rico and, and as a young adult and stuff. But it really was when I went back with my kids for the first time. My parents had retired. They built the house in Puerto Rico. We went to visit and kind of like rediscovering the cookie through them through their eyes mm-hmm. was kind of the inspiration that it, it, you know, led to the book. Um, because, you know, of all the things there are to do to Puerto Rico, the forts, the beaches, the caves, the mountains, everything, the coquille fraud was of course the thing that kind of stood out to them. So I kind of relived my childhood like that. Like, Oh yeah. I remember how infatuated I was with the cookie when I was a kid too. What was it about the local folklore that inspired you to write the children's book? So I actually didn't know a lot about the uh, folklore. So that wasn't the original inspiration, but I was inspired once mm-hmm. I did my research. But what was inspiring, like I said, it was like I, I, I went with my kids and um, and I wanted to, you know, like with every other tourist, you want to like bring home like something from your trip. So we went looking around for something for the kids. And as you know, there's a ton of cookie stuff everywhere in Puerto Rico, but a lot of it was kind of, I, it's, it was all very realistic and kind of, I know, uh, you know, this is a podcast, but I'm holding up a kind of like a, 
touristy thing you would find in Puerto Rico, yeah. which looks like yeah. almost like an ashtray with a coquille and a Puerto Rican flag painted on it. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and I remembered I had gone to Paris and London like a year prior. And there I, uh, I remembered that in Paris, like Madeline was like front of store at a lot of places when you went and and in London, it was like Paddington Bear and the original Winnie the Pooh. And I was like, wow, wouldn't it be great for Puerto Rico to have a story somewhat like that, you know, that the kids of Puerto Rico could kind of say, hey, this is our story. And I was actually looking for that and I, I couldn't find it. And then, you know, at first it was like disappointment that I couldn't find it that quickly turned into inspiration of like, well, maybe, maybe, you know, it'll be up to me to to um, do something like that. So that's that was the inspiration for the for the book. And then I, I researched um, the Tainos and that's where I because like most Puerto Ricans probably like our generation too tiny. It's like I think we grew up very knowing very little about Tainos, at least I did. You know, yeah. I think back then in Puerto Rico it was all about the Spanish culture. And even then that wasn't but but still, you know, there was a lot of like we didn't realize even what the Taino influences influences that were around we didn't realize that they were taino influences right mm -hmm. um, but and uh the story that i discovered or the common like thread throughout the taino stories was that Koki was a little boy that um basically disappeared and that the Koki frogs were calling his name but in the indigenous stories it's actually very kind of almost dark and sad and so I kind of took that as a premise, but then I kind of just made it, I, I Disney-fied it, if you will, in that. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say, because a lot of the Disney stories were bad and they turned yeah. around to fairy tales. Yeah, so <laughs> I kind of made it a more, like for today's audiences, I think people expect children's stories to be happier. Uh, yes. So that's, that's kind of what I what I did. But I, I took a lot of the inspiration um, from that. But if you if you look at my book, some of the some of the things that kind of stand out, and one of the reviewers called it out, is that you see uh, frogs in like um, guayabera shirts and yeah. the, like the little the little hats and stuff. And it's like, so I, I took some liberties because I started. I'm an artist first, so before you know, and then a writer secondly, I'd say. So I started with drawings, and I was coming up with these frogs with guayaberas and all these things that I wanted to put into the story. And then once I realized, like, this needs to be a Taino story because that's where the original stories originated from. But I didn't want to walk, necessarily walk away from that stuff. And it's also that stuff was, like, inspired by the Puerto Rico I knew. And so I kind of wanted, like, with the Puerto Rico of today, it's a mashup of all those cultures. So I kind of did that in the story. And that it's kind of like a mashup. So it still kind of represents the Puerto Rico as we know it, as well as embracing the Taino story. Just to let the audience know, uh, Tainos are indigenous people from Puerto Rico, natives to Puerto Rico. And the word coqui is actually a Taino word. Right, and Miguel? it's related to the sound that the frog makes. Uh, they exactly. might not know that either. So they, they sing coqui, coqui in the, in the night and ever after it rains too. Coqui, coqui. Oh, that was actually not bad. Oh, thank That's you, good. thank you. <laughs> Years of practice. Uh, I think we were auditioning for the Kikioki animated. Uh, yes. I, oh, my, oh, my God. I would love to be the voice of that. I would love that. <laughs> you have the mic for it. So <laughs> it works. 
So now, so what started as a children's book kind of turned into this pretty big empire with coloring books and a sequel and a bunch of characters. I don't know if I'd use the word empire. (laughs) (laughs) We're pushing into the future. (laughs) So how is it? Tell us a bit about how it's like taking something like literally as small as a cocky frog. These cocky frogs are tiny into this big brand. Um. Well, again, yeah, I don't know if I said, describe it as big, but uh, growing, <laughs> growing slowly. Um, you know, it's been one step at a time. When I first got into this, I didn't know, like like I mentioned, I, I, I self-published. I knew nothing about self-publishing, um, but I just took baby steps, learned as much as I could, and the timing was right, the, like the industry was kind of, so with everything, that's kind of been uh, my approach. Um, as far as building on it, I'll give you guys a little bit of an analogy. When I was one of the, the, the last full-time jobs I had was working for a company. We were doing the, uh, we did all the toys for frozen and frozen, not all the toys, but like we, we had a big share of the toy market for the frozen Disney's frozen. And it was like the biggest thing ever, like overnight, right? Like once the movie hit, it just was like the biggest brand in the world. And even a brand of that size, which was the biggest, and I'm talking like it eclipsed everything else, right? It was like Frozen and then like, you know, I don't know, $100 million below it was the next thing or, or, or more. Um, as soon as that brand started like just downtrending, it was, now keep in mind, it's still the biggest brand in the world, but it's just now instead it's not just shooting up anymore. Now it's starting to like plateau and start sales start to come down a little bit. The retailers are like screaming at Disney or screaming is the right term, but they're all like, when is the sequel coming out? What, how, what are you, how are you guys going to keep it? So the point I'm making is like when you start a brand or you start an IP or whatever it is, it's kind of like you got to feed the beast. It's like as soon as you put the first thing out, you already got to be working on the next thing, uh, especially in today's market where, you know, people just have a short attention span or they're moving on to the next thing. Or whatever, but you use so it's a constant uh, thing to try to like to re-energize and keep things moving. And how do you decide? <laughs> how do you decide what you're going to add next? Is it like a grueling process where you have to like cut a lot of ideas before you actually get to it? Um. Well, like most people, not being like independently wealthy. Uh, I also work on other projects, right? So for, you know, that pay the bills as well. So I work for right now, I'm art directing a animated show for a studio in Canada. So that takes up a lot of my time. So I have my projects too. And then I have to, you know, I have to plan for my projects, but I have, I have more projects than I have time for, put it to you that way. So I have the third cookie book, which originally... I've had it written for a while and laid out and drawn out or roughed out and I'm working on the final illustrations now, but I had it, I had it originally planned for like 20, uh, 2020, I guess it was like right around the time COVID hit. So I kind of delayed it, postponed it and stuff. I have a, two other titles outside of cookie that I have, uh, or three others actually written and kind of worked out and what I want to do. So it's just finding the, the, the time of day. So, um, you know, Koki is the priority, so that will be out first. Um, and then it's just 
kind of playing it by ear and kind of like, like I said, feeding the beast and just kind of try to keep things moving. And a lot of times you got to just put a lot of stuff out there and just kind of see what, what works. But I'm also going to do some more toy stuff. Like I have the plush for Cookie and I have another uh, toy concept product that I'm planning on putting out hopefully by the end of the year. And how do your kids play into that? Do you ever use them as like a backboard for, for any of your ideas? Oh, when they were younger? Oh, for sure. Uh, I bounce ideas off of them and stories off of them and just kind of see how engaged um, they are. When they were younger? Yeah. yeah. So now they don't, they don't want to well, know. My, my youngest is in college now. So <laughs> they're, all, uh, they're all doing their own stuff. I mean, I still engage them because they're artists. So I still yeah. bounce stuff off of them as well but you know when they were younger they were more the target audience i think it's so interesting that you went into this massive field of children's book publishing and you chose to carve out something that's so uniquely puerto rican yet it's still something that every child can enjoy and identify with why is it so important for you to include significant references to your culture and heritage in your work um well, like I mentioned on that trip to Puerto Rico, I looked around and I saw that it was missing uh, at that point. Now, yeah. I think a lot of people have been doing this more. It's a lot better. I mean, if you look at like the Disney movies of late, you know, with Coco. And yeah. Coco and also, I think that in the last like 10 years, things have really kind of moved in a way that was like, it's moved really fast. And I think that now those those guardrails or those gates that were uh those gatekeepers are kind of gone and I, I don't think this, you know, it's ever going back to the way it was, but um, you know, I launched the book in, um, in 2010 and, uh, and there really was not a lot. So, um, and, and so I, I saw that there was, you know, a need for it. Yeah. Just like Labor in Kenya too, that also opened up a lot of doors and brought in our culture as well. And, taught us a little bit about, you know, the Puerto Rican culture and and together the Tainos as well, because in some of the, I think in the, one of the comic books for Labor in Kenya, they brought in a Groot from, where was where is Groot from? Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, Marvel, Marvel the galaxy. which is kind of yeah. cool because I didn't, you know, like put those two together that Groot is a Taino tree almost, right? I'm not so sure about the history, but I find that very interesting. Yeah. So what are your favorite books as a child? And did they have any influence on Kiki Koki? Um, well, my, I, the, Where the Wild Things Are was actually, was a book I remember liking a lot as a kid. I, I liked like the Bearstein Bears and um, Mad Magazine and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and any kind of Disney storybook, mostly for the artwork. Um, wow. So those are like probably my influences. I think you see a lot of the Disney. It's funny because I try to be so un-Disney when I did the book, but every time people looked at it, they kept going, oh, it's so Disney. I, was like, oh, I guess that's <laughs> Really? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but the, I, I guess those were my influences. So what made it so Disney? Was it the, the story or the drawing? Oh, did mine? Uh, yeah. I think there's the drawings, I think. I took okay. it as a compliment, you know, when people would tell me. It was mostly like in interviews in Puerto Rico, you know. I did a lot of, like, publicity, especially for the first book. And mm -hmm. the interviewer would be like, oh, it looks like if Disney were to do, it, uh, you know, something on Puerto <laughs> Rico, this is what it would look like. So I, I took it as a compliment from that perspective. Maybe they took it as like, oh, it looks professional. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a nice way of saying that. That's true. That. It's synonymous. Yeah. yeah. At this point, for like animation, I feel like this, saying that it's Disney is synonymous with saying it's professional. <laughs> so, okay, Ed, vamos a hablar de comida. Woohoo. Okay. What are some of your favorite Puerto Rican dishes that you can make that can make you feel at home anywhere in the world? Uh, luckily, my wife is Puerto Rican and she cooks. Um, and so for the holidays, you know, we always do the traditional hokongandule, uh, si. pernil. Um, I've never been a big pasteles fan, I have to say. For some reason, I don't know why. Uh, Same. But I was never love. a big fan of it. Oh, yeah. Either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, but my kids all love pasteles. And they love Puerto Rican food. They eat everything. They love more Puerto Rican food more than me. I was, I was picky as a kid. I kind of grew into Puerto Rican food as I got older. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to pick one thing, I think tostones is the thing that you can kind of yeah. add that and make it feel Puerto Rican. So the, not too long ago, actually, in this podcast, we interviewed a sculptor, Dave Cortez, who does a lot of sculpting and clay work with like Marvel and DC characters. And he told us a bit about his creative process. But now that we have you here, who is more on the side of like 2D drawings, I would love to know more about your creative process and also for your characters, since you have to kind of come up with them yourself, how you come up with the personality, if they're based off of anyone. Yeah, it's funny uh, you asked that. So um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm more of an artist than a writer. So I actually start everything with sketches. So when I got the idea and I put quotes because I, I don't know if I had an idea, but I, I, when I when I had the inspiration to do something on the coquille, um, I just started doing drawings. Like I said, I wound up drawing like frogs with guayaberas and stuff. And I had kind of no idea where I was going, you know, and I did research and, you know, like I said, I kind of landed on like, okay, this needs to be a Taino story because that's the oldest story that, that to this day, people kind of hand down like word of mouth in Puerto Rico that Cookie was a little Taino Indian boy and stuff. But um, I, yeah, I just, I do sketches and then from the sketches I get inspiration. Uh, and then I just kind of like block out like little story ideas and somehow the pieces all kind of wind up fitting together. And then I write dialogue or I write, uh, you know, a narrative based off of like the, I, the story points that I have. Like I'll be, I kind of figure out usually like the beginning and the end. Right. Like I kind of like, okay, I know it's about a little Taino boy. And then the ending is going to be, oh, he's going to get turned back in. And I got to figure out everything in the middle. And then I just start plotting like, oh, it'd be cool if this happens. Oh, it'd be fun if that happens. So I want to make sure I include this thing from Puerto Rican culture or whatever it may be. And that's kind of how like I, I kind of plot it out. That's interesting because I feel like a lot of people the, um, that I've talked to that work on stories and stuff, they usually have a tough time ending it. Like they, they know the beginning and the journey, but then they don't know how to actually end it. Oh yeah. Well, you could paint yourself into a corner that way. That's why maybe that's why I kind of, I, I try to come up at the beginning and the end first. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. definitely good. <laughs> and so the, are they, or do you have like anyone who has influenced the personality of your, of your character specifically? Um, personality wise well like i said my son was pretty young back then and my son's name is keith but my daughter who was much younger than him at the time couldn't pronounce it and she uh would call him kiki and the name kind of stuck 
And so when I was doing the book, um, I always wanted to give it a name, the character a name, but you know, I wasn't going to call him like Kevin Coquilla. Like I, I was looking for something that felt more like that it could be part of the, the, the story. And, uh, and then being that it was like my son's nickname, we thought, oh, you know, Kiki's kind of a, a, a cool thing. And, and totally by accident, I think it's in Japanese or I think it's Japanese that, or Hawaii, some Hawaiian dialect. Uh, but Kiki Koki actually means he's a cute boy or a small boy or something like that. So, and that was like totally by, by uh, coincidence. How cool. Well, yeah, that worked out really well. Yeah. <laughs> And how is how is your process similar or different between creating something for the screen versus like a, a children's book for the page, like what you've been doing? Oh, so that's actually good because like right now I'm working, like I said, with a studio and it's their IP, obviously. And um, but I'm, I'm I'm the art director on the project, and I can tell you what the biggest difference is when you do something. So if you're especially if you're self-publishing, it's like. I answer to myself, right? So I make all the decisions, you know, uh, of what I want in it, what I don't want in it, design. When I'm working, when you're working with in animation, um, animation is very expensive. There's a lot of people involved, so there's a lot of people, a lot of people involved in the decision making process. It's not like a one person thing. Even if it was your own IP, I mean, even if I were producing Kigoki with a with a studio. If they're investing in the in the animation, they would have an opinion about certain things, right? Yeah. So, um, so that's the biggest difference. It's like if you're doing something for a book or for a drawing or for an illustration, you know, you, the the bigger the investment, the less control you're going to have over it. So that's the biggest difference. Do you ever get frustrated with those limitations, or do you see it as kind of a challenge for your creative process? I think that the roadblocks and the challenges always wind up for me in the, I would say primarily being a, a, a they kind of make you discover things that you wouldn't nat- naturally do. So a lot of times they wind up being a blessing in disguise. So what is it like being a Latino in your industry? There's well, there's a lot of Latinos, especially now. There's a lot of Hispanics, and I think a lot of that is because your art is what sells you in. And so it's kind of hard to deny, you know, people with talent in that regard. So um, it's been great. I don't, I don't know. Uh, so you don't feel alone. You feel like there's a community of Latinos out there who are super creative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah even from the good. beginning, even when I first started working at the, at the Disney office, there was a, quite a fair share of Hispanics and uh Latinos working in the industry already. Yeah, I noticed that a lot. Dave Cortez was talking about the same thing that he's seen uh, a lot of Latinos in, in sculpting. It's I think it's very interesting that Latinos seem to grasp onto the creative side of things, which is also funny because um, like uh, most Latino parents are like nagging their kids to like do something like become a doctor or something like that. <laughs> but I think it's great that there's a big community of Latinos in the creative side of things. Yeah. You know, it's, it, I, I kind of have a theory a, about that a little bit. And like I was saying, because you're telling, like when I first joined the Disney office, outside of the, the creative department, 
there were not a lot of Latinos or other minorities really working. And like I said, I think it's because when you're doing art, it's about your artwork and it's different than like handing in a resume, you know? And I think that it kind of breaks down those, um, those barriers where, where people kind of could like just be closed minded about others. Um, and, um, it, it just kind of like opens that door. So that may be why there's a lot of Hispanics in the arts, because if you're good in the arts, you, you know, you're good. And it's have, and you have the work to prove it. It's not like a resume or mm-hmm. a reference from someone else or, you know, it's hard yeah, to get You got to show it. You got to have a portfolio. So can you tell us a, a bit about anything that you're working on outside of what I'm going to call the Kiki Koki verse? <laughs> oh, now it's a verse. If we go- <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I do work for, so right now I'm working primarily for a studio called Epic Story Media. And it's, I don't think it's a secret that they are working on. No, it's not a secret. So I can say, it. Uh, are you familiar with Talking Tom? The, the, the app and the video games. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. So they're working on a uh, a series for Talking Tom. And so I'm the art director on that series. So it'll probably, we're in, we're in develop, we're in this production uh, of the show. So we did development, we're in production. And then, um, I don't know, it'll probably go into the animated phase in a couple of months. So keep your eyes open. There'll, uh, there'll probably be some announcements of, about it. Coming wow, up. that's interesting. I did not know that they were planning on doing that. Yeah. So yeah, they announced I, it to the world already, right? Well, they, I know they had it at like a couple of the trade shows. Mm, okay. So, I mean, so people know about it. So it's not like top secret. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, congratulations. Then, oh, thank you. So, and I've done work, you know, I do stuff, cons- consulting work and stuff occasionally with like Universal and um, um, Spin Master, who I used to work with. Uh, Paw Patrol guys. Uh, I used to work with at that studio a few years ago. I still do stuff for them occasionally. Oh, they did Paw Patrol? That's huge, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was working with them. We were at the beginning. It, it wasn't Paw Patrol. I left right when that was like kind of starting out as a concept. What advice <laughs> do you have for someone interested in getting into animation or illustration? Um, well, I guess it depends on their age, uh, but really? uh, I mean, if you're young. Well, if you're young and you're developing, I would say draw, you know, that mm-hmm. would be my first thing of advice. It's like, if you're interested and you're a young person, then you should just keep drawing. Um, mm-hmm. okay. and that is going to be the foundation of everything that you do. And there's so much online that you can learn now too. Um, uh, but I would also say for someone who's like maybe an artist in another field and wants to make the transition, I didn't get, I didn't, I transitioned from, I originally started kind of like on the illustration side of the business and then I went into toy design and then I went into animation, like later on when I was already in my forties. So it's possible to kind of transition in and get it just, uh, uh, you know, do the hard work, uh, research, you know, find people in the field. Uh, don't be part be of a community. 
yeah, don't be afraid to take a step back to to take a step forward. I've done that a few times um, just to kind of uh, kind of earn my stripes and stuff and learn. Right. So what advice do you have for someone who wants to get their foot in front of the door like a company like Disney? Oh, well, there's so many more avenues now. But an introduction is the biggest thing you could do. If you know someone that works somewhere, regardless of the equipment, a personal introduction is still always the the best avenue for any in any kind of job. But I would do LinkedIn, this you know, reach out to recruiters on LinkedIn. They're looking, you know, a lot of places are looking for younger people. They're looking for they're purposely looking for diversity. It's really, it's a really good time, I think, for young people and people of different backgrounds now. Like I said, the last 10 years has been amazing in that way. Um, so I think things have a way of leveling out. I mean, there is more competition in that there's more people like are going to school for animation, you know. So oh, going off of working for Disney, I mean, I feel like Disney is one of those companies where uh, a lot of people kind of dream to work there since they since like they were little if they're an artist. So how was it actually working for Disney? How did it feel being there? And I mean, is it what everyone makes it up to be? Well, I mean, it's like any other company that's going to be, you know, there's going to be ups and downs and stuff like that. But uh, as an organization, especially the years that I spent there, I felt like it was a really, it was great. So people are what really make up Disney. Um, and there's a lot of like-minded people and there's a lot of creative people and people that kind of have an idea of what the company should be. And so most of the people there, it's a really positive experience working there. Um, and then the history of it, I'm a big Walt Disney fan. So before we let you go, I have a bunch of rapid fire questions for you. Oh, no. Ready? (laughs) (laughs) Rapid fire, does that mean like a really just quick, short answer? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. All right. So what's your favorite book? Oh, geez. My favorite book? Uh, Oh, God. <laughs> Take one from your library behind you. Like four hundred thousand books. So I can't. I don't know. About, uh, Kiki Koki. There you go. I'll be so okay. That's good. That works. <laughs> and now, what is your favorite animated movie? Oh, geez. Um, I really like Dumbo. Um, and I really like uh. Jeez, I should know this. I should I should have a better answer off the top of my head. I probably would say Dumbo and 101 Dalmatians. Something like classic Disney in there. Probably. What's your favorite part about visiting Puerto Rico? Um, well, family. I still have a lot of family. My mom actually still lives in Puerto Rico. Um, so Rapid fire, it's family. And then the rest is just the culture and the food and the it, the, you know, the beauty of the place. Oh, yes, the food. Definitely the food, too. <laughs> and now if you... I know this is going to be really difficult, but if you could choose uh, one of your favorite characters that you've worked on besides Kiki Koki, what would it be? Oh, probably Mickey Mouse. I'm a big Mickey Mouse fan, always have been. Um, oh. I drew the character for, like, I don't know, 15 years or something, so... Wow. <laughs> and what's your favorite Disney urban legend? F- 
favorite Disney urban legend? Uh, I don't know if I know an urban legend. What do you mean by an urban legend? Like something that's not true or something that, or just like. something that we don't know is true, if it's true or not, but people (laughs) talk about it. Oh, geez. God, I don't know if I know anything. Oh, okay. I do have one. So there's always been, it's more of a theory of mine. So, you know, have you ever heard that, you know, that Walt Disney was frozen? Yes. I have a theory on how that rumor came to be. Oh. I remember as a kid, there was a joke. It was like, hey, did you hear Walt Disney's frozen? And then people go, no. Really? And they go, yeah, he's in suspended animation. (laughs) And I think that, like, people from my generation, like, they just remembered the punchline, like, that he was broke. Like, I forgot it was a joke. And I I think that's how the rumor started. But that's my theory on the rumor. That's interesting because I never even heard that joke. So I kind of like that. (laughs) It's so long ago. And then what's, uh, what's the best restaurant in L.A. or your favorite restaurant? Oh, my God. In L.A.? I don't know. I think um, it's like eh, I still like the New York pizza better. There's a couple of good pizza places here, uh, but stuff. But I, I'm going to do a shout-out to Mofongos in um, <laughs> North Hollywood, which is a Puerto Rican restaurant. So... Okay. Oh, that's good that there's a, there's a good Puerto Rican restaurant over there. <laughs> and uh, if you can, sum up your Latino experience in one word. Or maybe two. I'll give you two words. <laughs> <laughs> My Latino experience? Blessed. So thank you for everything that you do with Kiki Koki. I'm really glad that, that we have someone out there that's bringing some Puerto Rican culture into more homes out there. Um, okay. Your work is really inspiring, so thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you guys and the work that you guys are doing and Goki, the chef and, uh, and this podcast now. And, um, I really uh, appreciate that. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to talk with you guys. Where can we purchase Kiki Goki books and merchandise? You can purchase Kiki Goki books and merchandise at <laughs> Kiki Koki.com. So, okay. <laughs> K-I-K-I-K-O-K-I. Just in case. <laughs> We're going to be typing in Coquilla, how do you spell that? Yeah. So, <laughs> I can imagine it with the, like, the two index finger, K-I, K-I, K-O. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, gosh. Tom is C-O-M. Just to be clear, I want to make sure nobody sees yeah. it. Dot com. Dot com. I, I love that one. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. We can't wait for more Kiki Koki and Coquilla Chef collabs. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely hinting at future stuff. Wink, wink. Yes, wink, wink. (laughs) If you have an idea, let me know. Uh, I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, when I I have the third book ready, I'll reach out and then we'll figure something out. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Because the third book, I'll give you a little bit away. It's going to be based off of the um, Puerto Rican parody. So the second book was oh. the first book was a cookie, and then I introduced Buncey the turtle, and the turtle was inspired by the the, the turtles in Puerto Rico. Okay. And so the third book is going to be inspired by the Puerto Rican parrot. So now okay. don't be cooking parrots. We're not going to do anything like that. Okay. All right. No bird <laughs> food. Parrot adobo or uh, 
We'll so keep away. That's that actually good too. Not a lot of people know about the Puerto Rican parrot. Like I, I didn't even know that Puerto Rico had an indigenous parrot until like just a few years ago. And they're yeah, it almost went extinct. And it's yeah. still on the brink of extinction. There's only a few. I don't know. If there's a few thousand or one thousand. There's not that many, but they've yeah. been bringing them back. Yeah, so it would actually be really great to raise more awareness uh, through yeah. your book with that, too. Hopefully that helps out. That's what I'm hoping for, to do something with El Yunque and the, and the group there that's bringing him back. Yeah. So you've been listening to More Than Rice and Beans. If you enjoyed this episode with special guest Ed Rodriguez, leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It helps spread the word about our show so we can promote more amazing Latinx creators and innovators. And if you're interested in learning more about Puerto Rican culture, check our cooking class, A Taste of Puerto Rico, at coquithechef.com. In this online class, you can cook along with me in our own kitchen as I teach you how to make Puerto Rican cocktails and appetizers. Click on the link in the show notes to book your experience today. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll be back in your podcast feed again soon with another amazing guest. So see you next time.